Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Recover with Carly podcast. I'm here today with my friend, Kenna Reed. Kenna is someone who I've known for many years now, actually. Um, We met when I was living on Oahu. For those of you that don't know, I did my undergrad at the University of Hawaii, and I was living on Oahu, and I met Kenna through a coffee shop that I was working at called Arvo Cafe. And Kenna is an amazing photographer. She's just overall an amazing human being. And I'm so excited to have her here today to share her knowledge and to share with us the inspiration behind starting Help Maui Rise. Um, So welcome, Kenna. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about who you are and and what you do? My name is Kenna Reed. Uh, Normally, I'm a photographer on the island of Oahu. And recently, in the last two and a half months, myself and like a team of other people started a project called Help Maui Rise to support the people who are displaced by the Maui wildfires in Lahaina and Kula on August 8th. Initially, we started out just as a Google spreadsheet that was initially just meant to circulate within our own circles, but kind of ended up going viral and getting spread like pretty far. And so since then, we've developed into different avenues to donate directly to the families to best support them. And Mm -hmm. I am so inspired by you. I remember seeing um, the spreadsheet be created and seeing so many people sharing it and seeing, unfortunately, just how long that list of names were um, of families who were displaced by the fire. And so, you know, I, I remember thinking, I have to have Kenna on. I need to have I need to have the team on in some capacity to talk about and raise awareness on what happened in Lahaina in Kula. So do you mind just sharing a little bit about what happened for listeners who maybe yeah. who maybe don't know? Yeah, definitely. So basically on August 8th, um, Lahaina is now, it used to be like all wetlands, but Lahaina now is a very dry area on the west side of Maui. Um, Kula is upcountry, um, so different part of Maui. But basically on August 8th, there was... Uh, wildfire, which is not uncommon for the area. It happens. Um, But this fire in particular ended up happening on a day where we were also having like a hurricane pass by the islands. And so this, it kind of created this perfect storm that the winds picked up and it spread what started off as like a very small wildfire. And it ended up basically leveling Lahaina town. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but I believe it took about 3,000 structures, and I think 85% of those structures were residential. There were 100 lives lost um, for a very long time. There were hundreds of people who were missing. Um, and then also in Kula, it took that a separate fire, but on the same day, it took other houses in that area as well. And for people who haven't, who didn't follow this story on the news, um, it was particularly devastating because these people were basically like trapped in this section of the island um, and weren't able to receive aid outside of community aid for, I think it was five or six days total. And so 
it really, and I mean, still even two months in, like a lot of the support has been community led, but yeah. So basically there's still, as of today, what's happening is that all of these like residents of Lahaina are now staying in hotels, or I think they're starting to move them into like slightly longer term housing, but it still seems a little confusing. But a lot of these people are moving into like Airbnbs and all of that. But there's still a lot of lot of work to be done. It's a very like complicated situation where you have people who are renting, people who are homeowners, people who are immigrants, um, people who are homeless prior to the fire. And so we're seeing a lot of very specific, unique cases and everybody really needs individual attention and not everybody is getting that right now. For people who aren't familiar with Maui or have never been there, um, you mm-hmm. mentioned that people were were trapped. Can you explain a little bit about kind of what that looked like or why why people were trapped or what made it difficult for people to get in and out of Lahaina for those who yeah, aren't familiar definitely. with what that side of the island looks like? Yeah. So basically what made the fire extra, like what made this whole situation really complicated or I think why so many lives were lost is that when the fire started, it started off as like a very small fire that was like a result of like a down power line from the high winds from the hurricane um, that was passing by. And so you know, this power line went down, the fire sparked. Um, they thought the firefighters like said that it was contained. And then they left because they had to go to Kula where the other fire was. And Maui is a small island, limited resources, limited firefighters, everything is, you know, there's just less. And so basically, as this is happening, more power lines are going down. They ended up sh- closing down the highways. So if Lahaina is here, the highway is passing through both parts of the highway are closed because there's down power lines on both and there are like police blockades. And so this fire starts, there's no power. They aren't, they weren't able to sound the warning alarms. I don't want to, I mean, we can say weren't able to, or just didn't. And so people had no idea that the fire was as bad. Like I said, fires happen in Lahaina. Um, It's now like a very dry area. So this is not uncommon for this time of year. And they were also told, like, I think a lot of people were also told that the fire was contained a lot earlier in the day. So people were really, you know, had their guards down, thought that it was being handled. And next thing you know, like the wind picks up and the fire starts spreading really rapidly. Um, And so a lot of these families that were helping and are talking to only had seconds, minutes to evacuate. And I mean, when I say seconds, I mean, the number of people that we've talked to who literally just like looked outside their window and the fire was right there. Like that's how little warning that they had. And then even then it's like the people who are already like, okay, the fire is at our house. The people who were trying to flee and leave in their cars were basically met with like dead stop traffic because the roads were blocked off. There's not, there's no like alternative routes or there's not a lot of like other ways to get out of there. So a lot of people ended up fleeing on foot um, or having to jump into the ocean which even that wasn't safe because the wind was so strong that it was like pulling the fire over the water. It sounds like hell, right? Like I wasn't there again and I'm, this is my understanding of it as like an outsider, but there's, you know, the videos that circulated the stories that we've heard. It, It sounds like just a nightmare. And also because of like the hurricane winds, like there were like flying debris, you know, there was like there, 
it was just not an easy, you know, and there's like a lot of older people in Lahaina, um, old folks homes in Lahaina. There's just a lot of people who weren't weren't able to get out of there. Listeners, if you have been following the story, if you if you've seen things about this, you've probably seen photos of Lahaina after kind of the fire was contained. And it does it does replicate this kind of like apocalyptic scene. It's like so devastating to imagine what these people were thinking, how they were feeling when all of this was happening. You know, as someone who's lived on Maui, I have driven that road to and from Lahaina so many times. There's kind of only one way in and one way out if you're going mm-hmm. from one part of the island to the other. And so knowing that and thinking like, how are we going to get out of here if everyone else is also trying to get out of here mm-hmm. and we're all in our cars and traffic's going nowhere. And like you said, people are getting out of their cars, trying to kind of evacuate by foot, but then the flames are moving so fast. Like I can't, I just, I can't even wrap my head around the fear and the trauma that is, you know, associated with having to experience that and having to jump into the water, right? With like your families. It is, it is so, yeah, so wild to me that one, people weren't talking about this to the extent that I I think I hoped that people would be talking about this. Like, I'm curious to hear your take on this, but I think one thing we see a lot is People who aren't directly impacted by something oftentimes don't feel the need to understand or to share what's going on. And I'm not sure if you if you saw that, if you felt that, like people mm-hmm. on the mainland who maybe weren't sharing mm-hmm. like you hoped that they would. Or I even have friends who I went to UH with who didn't say one word about the fire. And I'm like, you lived on Oahu, like you mm-hmm. were surrounded by local people. And like, this is, it's just wild to me that people can kind of just, disassociate or disconnect from from something because they're not directly impacted by that. So I'm curious if you feel like that's impacted the kind of engagement that you get from individuals yeah. or not. You know, I will say like in the very beginning, like the first two weeks, there was a lot of just overall attention from mainland and Hawaii. Um, I think there were like a lot of videos that went viral, tragic you know, moments or devastation get a lot of attention. Good can come from it. It's a it's a weird thing, you know, but it's like definitely like initially like those videos because it was such like a graphic, horrific scene. I think there was a lot of people all over the world talking about it. We noticed that like our spreadsheet specifically was getting circulated in different countries, um, which was amazing to see, but it died off very quickly. Um, Like, for instance, like the first interview we did was with Fox Weather. And I think it was a little less than a week in. And I did not feel ready at all. Like at this point, I was like, didn't even know what we had created. I had no idea where it was going. Um, I was having a lot of imposter syndrome feeling like, hey, like I'm not from Lahaina, like I should not be speaking for Lahaina um, or to these people's experiences. Like I wasn't there. And I like remember calling the interview guy who was actually very sweet. He was like a really nice weatherman. (laughs) But I called him and I was like, look, like I don't feel ready for this at all. And it was really like he basically told me, he's like, look, I've worked in local news and I've worked in national news. 
you guys have a window of maybe two weeks, more most likely a week where you are going to have this platform and then they're going to move on. Um, and he's like, it's unfortunate, but that's just how it works. And after this week, you will most likely have to chase your own leads on a local level in order to keep this going. And he was like, absolutely correct. It has been, you know, we have so we do have so much support. Um, and I'm like, so grateful for all the all of the people who have shared and, you know, interviewed us and talked about us, um, or just put our resource into the hands of somebody who is able to donate like a more significant amount. But it's definitely a constant struggle to keep people interested, even in Hawaii, you know, like, I think especially right now with the everything that's going on in Israel and Palestine, like I've noticed that, like in the last week and a half, it's been probably the hardest that it's been to keep people talking about it understandably right like i mean what's happening there is devastating and heartbreaking and again it's like another thing that people are like that's where their attention is that's what the algorithm is focused on and so to get people to still see that some that lahaina two and a half months later is actually still really struggling if not more now than they were before because now there are less resources, less people who are devoting their time to making sure that they're okay, you know? And so, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a struggle. Um, But I would say more support from the Hawaii community, like lately, as far as like the conversations I've been having are mostly coming from like a local level for people who want to continue to support and find ways to fundraise for for these families. So I want to talk a little bit about what prompted you sam and gabby are Mm -hmm. the three founders Mm -hmm. of help maui rise and i'm curious you know what did that conversation between the three of you look like in deciding that this was something that you wanted to do or you needed to do that prompted the creation of help maui rise yeah definitely um it happened very organically and unexpectedly when it really hit everyone that the fires were not your normal everyday fire in Lahaina. Um, it was late in the afternoon on August 8th. And I think, you know, we were all just kind of sitting from home, like watching these videos on our phone. And like for me personally, it was like seeing the videos of Front Street. For those who aren't familiar with Maui, Lahaina was like the original capital of Hawaii. So Front Street is this like a very historic area a lot of older buildings it's you know like a lot of tourists go there um but it's also home to like a like a large local community too that's been there for generations um and i think seeing front street on fire was when it hit a lot of us that this was a huge deal and at this point i don't even think we realized how much of the neighborhoods behind front street had burned but it that's when it really sunk in and people started posting a lot about it like oh my god or is everyone okay like what's going on reception was basically non-existent at that point there so there was like very little information coming out from Lahaina and you know like you're just sitting there we're on Oahu which is like an island away you know and you're you know we're just like sitting there like what do we do and so like speaking from my own experience at least the first thing is like okay who do I donate to who's there helping like you know you don't know if somebody's on the ground how like what can we do and so there were a couple fundraisers that were circulating and I was like okay I'm just going to donate to this one like this one is getting reposted by a lot of people that I know a lot of like local celebrities like it must be credible so donated you know whatever like a hundred dollars or something to it 
And then next thing I know, I see people saying like, don't support this fundraiser. We don't even know who started it. Um, It's being started by somebody on Oahu that's like affiliate. Like there were just so many rumors, like they're religious extremists. It's a cult. Like this person is like, they're not responding. They're arguing with me and their message, just all of this stuff. And I was like, oh my God, who did I just send my money to. Luckily in the end, it ended up being like a very sweet girl from Kuhuku was like, who was like 18 years old. And I think also didn't anticipate that her fundraiser was going to get so much attention, but it just kind of left me with this feeling of like, who am I sending my money to? And what are, how do I know what they're going to do with it? Which, you know, like we're comfortable, but we don't have all of this money to spend. And so I think it, made me feel like, okay, wait, if I'm going to send my money somewhere, like I want to make sure that it's going to go to the families directly and it's going to help them quickly and in the ways that they need it most. And I think for me personally, I felt like, well, nobody knows what these families need more than the families themselves. And so if I can somehow get money directly to them, they can go buy diapers, they can buy formula, they can buy food, whatever their most urgent need is, they can they can do that. And so out of desperation, I posted to my Instagram story and I said, if anybody knows families that were personally affected, displaced by these fires, can you send me their Venmos? Can you send me their GoFundMes? I want to share them to my story. And at first I got maybe 10, 20 GoFundMes, Venmo links. And I was just posting them like a little photo, like the link to donate to it. And then I want to say like within that day, Sam reached out to me. So Sam is another photographer on Oahu who is actually from Lahaina. And she, of course, grew up there, knows tons of people from there. And so she was like, I'm going to just start sending you people. I know like a lot of people. Um, And so together she was like, she would text it to me. We would, you know, I would upload it, save it to like a highlight. And then we were, you know, I want to say two days in when Gabby reached out to us and Gabby is like Gen Z Google wizard. And I, we actually didn't even know her. And it's funny because like at this point we had a lot of really positive feedback from our followers saying like, thank you, you know, for doing this. I've been feeling the same way. Like I also just want to give my money directly to the families. I don't want to worry. I don't want to like wonder where my money is going to go. But simultaneously, we also had people saying like, this is amazing. Like, how can I help? Can I help you do what you're doing? And I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know. There's just too much going on. Like couldn't think straight, you know, because at this point we were getting messages every like five minutes. Like it was insane. And Gabby reached out and something in my ear was like this, you need to respond to this girl, like let this girl help you. Um, And she was like, I want to make, I can't remember if she had already created a Google sheet or she was like, I want to turn this into a Google sheet, but that's basically, that was completely her idea. And she wanted to basically create something more organized and more shareable. And so yeah, then from there, we were kind of tag teaming. It was like Gabby was putting it into the Google sheet. I was putting it into my stories. And then a week and a half in, we were like close to a thousand families. And it really was like, we would like, we were all at this point just receiving messages to our personal Instagrams from families. And we were, we would leave our phones for an hour and come back to like 40 messages. Like it was insane. And it was like that for 
honestly, like two weeks, like it was absolutely heartbreaking, like how many people were reaching out to us and basically saying like, we're not getting help. We need money. You know, some of these people had their savings in cash in their house. They had nothing to their name. And like I said, like there was no, there were no officials at this point, like a weekend they were, there were people who were trapped in Lahaina without any medical aid for days. It was a really fucked up situation. You know, even the day of the fires, it was like there were people who were in the water for eight hours just like waiting to get rescued. And it's an island. Like you can get there. Like you can, there are ways, you know, and it just didn't happen. And so we really like, especially in the beginning, we're like, we have to keep this going. Like this is like, you know, we have to, even if it's just to make these people feel like they have a lifeline that somebody's there caring for them you know and there were a lot of people on the ground too again all community-led that were creating resource hubs and they were kind of handling all the like in-kind donations and so we felt like okay well we're on Oahu the people in Lahaina and on Maui are really busy doing like kind of helping in those ways like this is something that we have this advantage of being able to just sit at our computers all day like let's do this. And it really took off, uh, which we were really grateful for. Was there ever a point where you felt like it was so overwhelming that it wasn't like it wasn't going to be doable or you felt like you weren't going to be able to keep up because there were so many people reaching out? Like, was there a sense of doubt that you felt at any point? I feel like the way that we all describe like those first couple weeks was just like this insane adrenaline rush. Like, I feel like I like none of us we were just like the second we opened our eyes it was like grab your phone start responding to people you know like all the way up until we went to sleep it was just so like just sad and like I said we were talking it was a mix of talking directly to the families and then their friends or family members that were trying to get them help too but I think when you're just reading and hearing from people like one after the next and you see how desperately they need you that there was just no doubt in my mind about if we were going to continue or not. Um, Yeah. And I still feel like that. Like, I still Mm -hmm. feel like we're still messaging them. You know, like, I still talk to these families every day and seeing the momentum die out is, like, really sad because I just know that what they're feeling right now and and that they still really need us and they still really need to feel like people care and are paying attention. Um, And so, yeah, like, I don't know. I think, like, again, like, speaking for myself personally, like, I think that as overwhelming and busy and crazy as it was, when you're hearing from these people, like, I feel like it just puts everything into perspective. And I'm like, well, I have a roof over my head. Like, my kids are safe. I have food on my table. Like, I can lose sleep for a couple months. (laughs) Like, that's okay. Like, that's not anything that's not a big sacrifice at all in comparison to what these people have gone through and you mentioned this um idea of of lack of officials in the beginning do you mind just kind of briefly sharing what the support looked like from a state or government level financially or even just like physically the support that was on the ground in Lahaina and Kula yeah I mean like Again, disclaimer, like I'm not an expert on this. And I think we were also so like we had our heads down, really like focused on like sort of getting the information from these families that to some degree, like we were kind of like not we weren't fully paying attention to everything that was going on. But I don't even feel like you needed to be paying that much attention to be able to recognize that this state had failed us. 
And like I said, day of the fires, there was no warning prior. There was also like Lahaina was deemed like a extreme fire hazard years before this even happened. Nothing was done about it. Fire started. People, you know, there were like roadblocks. There was just a lot of like from when it happened and after it was just really evident that every mistake imaginable was made. It was insane. Like it was almost like a joke where, you know, like then the fires happened. And like I said, like people were in the water for like eight hours. Nobody was there. And days after the fire, still no officials, like nobody's there. Like people are burned, you know, they're hurt. And they're just in this town that has basically been leveled and there's nobody there to offer them metal. It's in, it's mind boggling. Like I can't even, there's a part of me that's like, is that even like, it's like you, it's hard to believe that they're, they could be that negligent or that after fucking up on such a massive level that they wouldn't rush in to try to like fix what they had done or what they could have better prevented at least, you know, um, and like hearing from the people who had created like the resource hubs on Maui, which were so impressive, like people were calling them like little Costco's like on every corner in the neighborhoods, you know, because they had food and feminine hygiene, diapers, clothes, just everything, generators, gas, like just a lot of what they needed. And a lot of these people said that it wasn't until day six that they had people come in that they even saw anybody that worked for the state or wasn't, you know, any sort of official to come in and do anything about it. And then a lot of the feedback that we were hearing from Oahu was that they would come in and be like, oh, this isn't, you can't, you can't be distributing this. Like you can't. And they were like locking up donations. I mean, at this point it's FEMA, I think was like one of the, was like who came in around day six. And again, like fact check this. Cause I know it's like all kind of like a blur at this point, but I know that there were like videos and photos circulating of donations that FEMA had to basically like lock up because they have their own protocol, right? Like it's not like they can't just distribute whatever to whoever because there's like a liability issue. But at this point, people didn't have water, they didn't have food, they didn't have medication, um, and they weren't able to leave Lahaina to get those things or they or they were scared to leave because they didn't know if they would be let back in. And yeah, and then as of today, like fast forward two months later, there's a lot of frustration amongst, you know, the people who are displaced uh, because they're not, you know, they're getting moved. Like the, even the ones who are in hotels, like they're saying that they've moved eight times, 10 times since the fires have happened because they're in a hotel. And then the tourists, they reopened on the 8th. And now it's like, oh, we have to move you because the hotel's getting booked up. We're going to move you to this room. We're going to move you to this room. And they're just getting bounced all over the place. And I believe that it's Red Cross and the state of Hawaii that's paying for like the rooms and everything. Um, But it's just, it's a wild situation. And there just is a lot of carelessness and just a lot, you know, like they just reopened the schools that are like closer to the west side of Maui, but at the same time, like simultaneously, they're doing like an air quality check and saying like, oh, it's not, this is really not safe. And they're like, well, why are you sending our kids back to school then in this area? Like, it's just not, you know, or they created a new evacuation route, but it goes right through where the first fire happened. And so they're like, is this an evacuation route? Like, are you really like thinking any of this through? Um so yeah, it's just, it's a lot. Um, and there's a lot of frustration and there's not 
there haven't been enough conversations with the people from Lahaina and with, you know, the officials for them to make, they're just making these decisions kind of without the input of the community that's actually impacted by all of this. It's so hard to hear and it's frustrating. I remember hearing from, you know, talking to you and other people that I know, they were feeling so frustrated. No one's showing up, like, except for the local people Mm -hmm. of either Maui or Oahu or just Hawaii in general, which I think Mm -hmm. says a lot about the people of Hawaii. They will always come together for one another and there will always be that support system and that that love that you feel from your community and you know it's it's devastating and it's frustrating that that same love and empathy is not being shown on a state or government level and that things weren't seen as urgent when yeah. they were incredibly urgent but i think that that's what makes you know, what you're doing and what makes Help Maui Rise and other organizations Mm -hmm. so important is that it does show how much of an impact that people on the ground can make. And it shows, you know, just how strong community can be in Mm -hmm. these devastating times. And I think there's hope in that. I think there can be, yeah, I think there can be a lot of hope in that while also having the frustration of like, well, we don't want to always have to be the ones that support ourselves. Like we want to get support. We want to financially be supported. We don't want to be, you know, bopping around from room to room. Like we want some stability. And if we look at it in terms of like the mental and emotional aspect of all Mm -hmm. of this, you know, you have the trauma associated with experiencing the fire and experiencing that. Mm -hmm. And then you have that aftermath, right? That like PTSD on top of Mm -hmm. the displacement, on top of like the lack of stability that the state Mm -hmm. is providing for the people who were displaced. Like, oh, you're in this room. Oh, now you're in this room. Or, oh, now you're going to this housing. It's like, I can't imagine how triggering and difficult it would be to have to to be in that position and it's so incredibly frustrating to know that officials government officials state officials like aren't thinking about that we could go into a whole thing about like opening the state back up to tourists and all of this like the fight that went on for that and Mm -hmm. it not feeling like the right time and just like the lack of care that the state had for the people of maui or the people of lahaina had to say about that. And I think that's a reoccurring theme that we see with, you know, a lot of state officials, specifically in Hawaii, right? If we look at just like the history and things that have gone on and that have happened, it it does feel so unfortunate that making sure tourists can come back in as soon as possible is like always prioritized. Yeah, definitely. It's hard. Yeah. No, it's like heartbreaking. We're in touch with like a lot of the families, but I think just to kind of go off of what you said, it's like these people have gone through so much and they're exhausted. They're grieving. You know, like the state has dumped a ton, like recently they dumped like a ton of money into providing like mental health support, you know, like services, all of that, which is appreciated. But at the same time, it's like you are putting people who have gone through so much into these situations that are triggering And it's like, why not just support them? And I mean, I feel like that's like mental health support 101 is to make people feel heard and Mm -hmm. to validate their feelings, you know? And so 
it is so critical to just sit down with these people and hear them. And I think that's like half of now that submissions have slowed down and we're not getting so many new families that are asking to get put onto our list. I feel like I spend a lot of my time when working on Help Maui Rise just checking in on families and being like, how are you doing? Like, did you find a place to stay? Like, there's like a bunch of people that I like text personally because I just... I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's like, it's discouraging in the sense that like, you know, that there are just so many of them and I can't, we can't message them, text every single one, you know, but it's like, it's so hard. I mean, like I just was watching like right before we jumped on this, I was watching a video by one of this guy that's been on like boots on the ground in Lahaina since day one, who has just done all like incredible work. And he was just putting out like a PSA just remind people to like talk about what they're feeling and that it's okay to reach out for help. And there have been a number of suicides like since the fire, which is just, I'm like, count those in your casualties. Like that's like, we have continued to fail these people. Like this is a result of what happened, you know? And like, I understand that government officials are busy and they have a lot on their plate and everything, but it's like, you, you have to, I don't know. It's just, it's just, sad you know we don't need to make excuses for them (laughs) I feel like you know I'm like there there should be you know there should be a point where it's like I I shouldn't feel or you shouldn't feel the need to like make excuses for the people who are supposed to be there for the people and supporting the people and listening to the people and it's like there comes a point where you're like we've we've kind of like created excuses for you for long enough like this like this there has to be a point where it's like there really is there really is no reason why it took days for people to get to Lahaina to help people that were there shouldn't be an excuse as to why you know resources were being you know locked up and being told that you weren't allowed to hand them out like there's no excuse for any of those things and I think that that's important for people to to hear and to talk about. Like we have to hold Definitely. officials like accountable. There has to be a sense of accountability there, one hundred percent. No, definitely. Yeah, I think that's like I had a conversation with like a friend that works in policy, and she was like, "I think I'm more like that's always in my." I'm like, "Well, we can help," <laughs> and she was like, "No, like this is not your job." Like you, it's not your like, job, Kenna. <laughs> she's like, you shouldn't have to do the, like, it's amazing that you're doing them, but it's like, it is true. It's yeah. like civilians shouldn't be needing, like, and like needing, desperately needing to set up their own resource hubs all over a disaster zone. Like that's not, you know, and I think that that yeah. became very clear as, as mm-hmm. things unfolded. Like initially we thought that this was going to be like a two week placeholder before aid came in. And now we're two months in and I'm like, they still need money. We're still getting messages from people who have said that even people who have qualified for aid are still waiting on money. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, why does it take so long? Like, what about this situation does not make it so obvious that they need this right now, you know? And so, yeah, like I said, initially, I thought this was going to be like maybe a month of like doing this and we're two months in and I feel like I'm feel like it's needed even more now because now people have spent the money that they did have. And so do you feel like the process to receive aid? I don't know if you've talked to people who have gone through that process mm-hmm. of applying for aid. Was that 
a difficult process? Were there a lot of people who were denied aid? Yeah, I mean, I didn't go through the process myself of filling out those applications. um, But there were a lot of different ways to get aid, you know, whether it was FEMA or Red Cross or People's Fund or there's like a bunch unemployment, you know, there's like all kinds of different ways that people could get help. I know that the families were just like overwhelmed with how much paperwork, which that part too, I'm just like, I can't imagine going through that and having to then without a car, somehow get to all of these places or fill out all this paperwork and you don't have computers, you don't have, you know, and there were a lot of like workshops set up and like hubs set up where people could kind of apply for everything. Like we did that where we were, we flew up for like one event that was like specific for like signing up for People's Fund and for what we were doing. Um, And so I know that there was, again, a lot of community effort to try to compile all of those applications and things into one single place and event where they could also get the help that they needed. Um, But there's also like a large immigrant population on Maui. Um, So a lot of them, like luckily People's Fund and Red Cross, you don't have to be documented, but like FEMA and like unemployment, like those sorts of things you do. And also like a lot of these people lost like a lot of the, you know, most of their important documents. And so I've heard stories of people getting their replacement for their ID and by the time that they get it, the ap- the application deadline is passed and they can't apply for it, you know? So it's insane. And then again, like there's a lot of people who did qualify for this stuff and are still just waiting on, which apparently I guess is like, I was talking to my sister who just moved back from California and she's really familiar with like the California wildfires. And she was telling me that she has friends that waited months to get FEMA assistance, you know, the money. And then some people don't. Don't. It's it's confusing. Like some people get it right away. Some people have to wait three months and it's just, I don't understand it personally. Um, and then there's also like insurance claims, right? They have to file, there's like deadlines for insurance claims that you have to document things. And like, you know, so they had to do and are still having to jump through so many hoops to potentially get the help that they need. I cannot imagine being in that situation of you have to go through all these hurdles to submit the application on top of losing documents in the fire, which, you know, you'd think that there would be some sort of like, we have this amount of money, let's just, you know, give it to split it up amongst everyone no need to apply no need for documents like let's just provide money and and i mean i feel like that's that's what help maui rise is doing right is you're Mm -hmm. you are directly donating to venmo accounts which goes directly to people that need the support it's like we need that same thing from like fema and the people's fund and everything where it's like there shouldn't be this really difficult process, you know, go through and and almost re-traumatize themselves. Yeah. And I mean, even for us, like, it's not like we even had like our own vetting process too, right? And so we had to, like, when kind of creating that process, we had to really think about like, okay, how do we make this as easy as possible for people? And I mean, it's it's still something where they still have to set up a GoFundMe or they still have to, Mm -hmm. you know, like we tried to do it as 
remotely like without having to ask stuff of them as possible like we try to be like okay make your social media accounts public so we can like look at over this and like you know try to like verify in that way and then it's only if we're unable to verify it on our own that we're like okay we need you to you know give us like id and proof of address or something and so it's hard i get because there are scammers right like so i do understand like the the need to have people apply and to verify them i know that like people's fund tried to be very like mindful in that way too of trying Uh to make Uh the application process as simple as possible but i think when you just like take everything and you're trying to it's just like all of it together is so much you know no matter what how do you feel like the help maui rise efforts have evolved over the last two months do you feel like focuses have shifted for people do you do you feel like you know people are requesting more like they're needing more support I know you mentioned that briefly as well as there are people who are who are now kind of needing more support because they're either one still waiting for aid or two they have kind of spent what was given to them as far as like how help Maui rise has evolved like initially we were the google sheet with like name of family donation links and then just like a little bit about the family to help people kind of understand whose link they were clicking on and that list grew to it's almost at 1500 families now and since then we got really lucky because gofundme and google separately reached out to us about one to two weeks in offering like support teams to us. Google was really critical because of them. We were able to make sure that our Google sheet was like running smoothly. Once you like Google sheets are not necessarily intended to be used for this purpose. And so Google was really just kind of like in awe that something as simple as Google sheets could be used as such like a critical resource. And so they really wanted to make sure that their software, whatever, was like operating on the level that we needed it to, to be used in the ways that we wanted it to be used. And so they worked out like a couple of glitches with like it just not like loading quickly enough. And then because of them, we were able to create like second and third tabs on our Google Sheet. So the second tab is the sorted GoFundMe tab. And that was like one of the ones that we were the most excited to implement because what it did was it took all of the GoFundMes and sorted the fundraisers from lowest funded to highest funded. And so once the list gets to 1500 families, it it does become really overwhelming to try and pick which family you want to donate to. And so we wanted to make that process like even more simple for donors. And so to have them be able to like go to a list that has the lowest funded at the top, it's like, okay, this person needs the most money right now. Because some of these fundraisers have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, not a lot of them, but some of them, you know, and then there's ones who have raised $50,000 and then you have the ones that have raised $50, you know, and so it was really important to us to get those people more support. Um, A lot of the lowest funded were fundraisers that we helped to set up in person with people who were older or there was like a language barrier or they weren't on social media. So they were like, well, why am I going to create one? I don't even have somewhere to share it on, you know? And so we know that for a lot of those lowest funded, like it's on us to get those links, the attention that they need. Um, And so that was really important and could not have been done if Google hadn't supported us in that way. And then GoFundMe has just been incredible. Um, 
I feel like there's, I almost feel like I'm like, I promise it's not like a paid sponsorship. I'm just like so impressed by them. They have been like, I'm always like, I love GoFundMe, like make a GoFundMe. Um, but they have just been like so kind and so available and just, I can't, it just, it blows my mind, like how much they've helped us. They help us with vetting. They help us with all, they volunteered to be a nonprofit beneficiary for us that handles all the distribution of the funds from our, so we created this thing called the one click donation, uh, which is basically like a collective uh, hub where people can donate to, and then those donations then get distributed to all of the GoFundMe links on our list. And that way people, if they don't want to just pick one family, they can just be like, okay, well here I have a hundred dollars. Let's like add it to the pot and then we'll have it get distributed to everybody. And we couldn't have done that without GoFundMe volunteering to be a beneficiary for us. And also because they're a nonprofit, we're able to offer businesses like a write-off option, uh, which is huge. I mean, businesses that need these write-offs. And so if they can find a way to give back to the community and also kind of get that for their business too, we really wanted to offer that as an option. Um and also because, you know, not everybody has the means to just donate straight out of their pocket. So if they can be like, okay, well, this will also, you know, help with my business. Like I can justify giving more. Um, and so we really wanted yeah. to make sure that that was an option. Um, and so that's been, that's been huge too. Yeah. And as far as like how things have changed with the families, um, we definitely get messages from people who are, you know, asking like, oh, like, is there any way? You can promote our link. Like we really need more money. You know, we're we're seeing like a lot of. There's definitely been like a lack like of momentum in donations lately. Um, I think a lot of people have just given what they can, and like I feel like that even where I'm like, oh, maybe I can send them, you know, ten dollars. And before it was like a hundred dollars, and you just, you know, we're not all just able to donate and donate and donate. And so I definitely like feel that like when we feature a family and like an Instagram post, like I haven't been seeing as many donations come in, um, which is really hard to see, even though I understand why. And so I've been having to do like a lot more like behind the scenes work to try and get more creative on like, okay, how can we get bigger donors? How can we get, you know, fundraise or whatever it is? But yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like if anything, like as far as like what I've been feeling or hearing from the families is like it's been a lot more quiet, which is hard because I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm just like a super emotional like empath, but I feel like from the people that we have heard from and the things that I'm seeing them post, like you just kind of are met with this sort of overwhelming feeling of them just feeling discouraged and sad and they're grieving and they are tired. You know, it's now they're they're not in that like adrenaline of like, okay, we just got to like get to a safe place and we got to, you know, like find food or we have to whatever, like things have, like the dust has kind of settled. And now I think again, like I can't speak for them, but it's sort of just like my personal observations from talking with them and like seeing what they post. It just feels like it's just sad. I cannot imagine like how exhausted these families are. You know, like the rebuilding after a fire is not a quick process. Insurance claims are not a quick process. And so I think it's really difficult to maintain that sort of hope. Again, speaking as like just trying to like understand what it is, what it is that they're feeling. But yeah, so I feel like I feel like every day I'm just sitting here like, how do I like give these families like even just like a little bit of hope? Like, how can I like 
you know, be like, hey, look what we raised this much or this person donated this much. Like people still care. People still like want to support you. But at the same time, it's hard because people are, are getting burnt out and people are, you know, it's just it's a complicated situation um, and it does need it's like like you were saying in some ways, like I know we wanted to do this podcast sooner and like in a lot of ways, I think it worked out better, like you said, because now that the momentum has slowed, it's like this is when we need that kind of boost and we need people to talk about it and share and donate if they can. And not just for monetary reasons, but also just to like let these families know that like the world is still paying attention to them and that they haven't been forgotten. So one thing that I was curious about too, and this is kind of will be like a good little wrap up of our conversation. What issues do you feel like Lahaina is going to face in the future because of this fire? I think that the biggest, I mean, Hawaii has faced a housing crisis for a very long time um, before the fires, before, you know, it's really hard to make it here. Um, Rent is insane. Food is so expensive. Like it's just not, you know, like I have like a decent paying job and so does my husband. Like we're comfortable, but we still live like a very simple life. And so I think one of the most devastating things about this situation is that people are and are going to continue to have to move out of Hawaii because they aren't going to be able to afford it anymore. You know, Hawaii is unique in this way where there are a lot of multi-generational homes. Some of these GoFundMes are for houses that housed 20 people, 15 people. And that's not uncommon. That's not, you know, like, oh, there's a couple of those. There's a lot of families that you had grandparents, parents, kids, grandkids, you know, and, you know, for anybody who understands living in a situation or in a neighborhood or state that is difficult to live in, like these homes are like your lifeline. And so to lose that and to then be like, okay, well, now we have 15 people from this one family who have been displaced that all need to now go rent individual places because there are no rentals on Maui. Like the rental situation on Maui right now is so, it's really scarce. There's just not a lot. And there's a lot of like rent prices are just skyrocketing right now. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who take advantage of situations like this and two bedrooms are like $3,000 and it's just insane. Um, A lot of these people don't have jobs or lost their jobs in the fire or are unable to work or, you know, whatever it is. And so there are already so many stories of people moving away. They call Las Vegas like the ninth island because so many people from Hawaii move there. They're like, there's a higher percentage of native Hawaiians that live on the mainland than there are that actually live here. And so you know, and that's something where I think even though I'm not from Lahaina, like I can still imagine that being like the town that I'm from. Um, And like what makes those places, those places are the people, you know, like you can rebuild and it'll look different. But like, if those people are still there, it'll still give you some sense of home. But if it gets rebuilt, and those people can't return, it's just lost, you know, and so that to me is like the most tragic thing about all of this is like how many people are how many local people are we going to lose Lahaina and Kula like all of I mean Maui is insane like our friends and our family that live there talk about how much Maui has changed in the last like few years because there are just so many people moving in and so many people getting priced out and you go there and like you're like where are all the local people like where are all the local businesses it's like big box stores and you know people who are obviously not from there and this is just gonna like expedite that process 
tenfold it's going to be. And that's something, like I said, anybody from Hawaii who has like grown up here or like has witnessed the changes over the last, however, whatever their like lifespan, it's just been, it's changing really quickly. Um, there's a lot of opportunity when a town gets leveled to rebuild it for tourists or rebuild it. It's like, who is it going to get rebuilt for, you know? And yeah. I think that that's like the question that a lot of people are struggling with is like, well, up until now, the local people have their voices have not been prioritized. So why would they prioritize them when discussing the rebuild or when planning, you know, what's what's next? That was going to be my next question was if there had been talk of or if there had had been any sort of decision made for what that rebuild was going to look like. I know that I had mm -hmm. seen a couple of people posting um, kind of PSAs of there mm -hmm. were like realtors who were trying to purchase like land to then build hotels and to build like resorts and stuff in that area so it felt very mm -hmm. like predatory uh, and you kind of mentioned this earlier of like unfortunately people take advantage of these disasters to you know raise rent um, because mm -hmm. they know there's a lack of there's a lack of places for people to live and so yeah it will be really interesting to see what this kind of conversation looks like with like the people of Lahaina or the people of Maui and like the state and terms of what they choose to do with that rebuild. Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully they'll, they'll listen to the people and they'll take their thoughts and their feelings into consideration when when making these decisions because sickening to think that they wouldn't do that or that they would turn this they would turn it into a just full tourist destination but maybe we yeah. stay hopeful for now and 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 cross that bridge when we get yeah. there um in terms of how we can use our voice and how we can sign petitions or you know be there to show support for for the people. One last question. This will be our wrap up question. How can people support right now? What can people do right now to support either Help Maui Rise or just Lahaina and Kula and, and Maui in general? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm obviously biased, but I think donating directly to the families is pretty like fail safe option. We have, you can either go to like helpmauirise.org is like our landing page. It's like very simple. Um, the first button is just the overall Google sheet. Second one is to that sorted tab that like will list the fundraisers from lowest to highest. Or there's like the one click donation if you don't want to you know pick a family we also have like an instagram at help maui rise where we post like a lot of updates and where we feature families from our lowest funded section um to just try to get them more attention but yeah we always tell people like you know if you can't if you don't have the means to donate talk about it tell people about it share follow you know like engage with accounts that are talking about this stuff um, we try to repost from like other community organizations and individuals just to kind of keep people in the loop with what's going on and yeah like I think it's just there is power in giving attention to those things whether it's through likes and shares and anything unfortunately but it does help with boosting that algorithm and getting it out to even more people so anything like that we really we really appreciate it. And I'll put everything in the show notes um, so it's easy for, for mm -hmm. listeners to find the website and the Instagram and yeah. 
and all of that. Any last piece that you want to share or anything that you feel important to mention before we wrap things up? I was having like a rough day the other day because we had like, you know, posted like a featured family and it didn't get like a lot of attention. And I was having this kind of moment where I was feeling like really just like sad and discouraged and like, you know, like how do we get people to keep caring? And I ended up just like writing this post and just saying that like, you know, we do live in this society that kind of promotes and like harbors this like lifestyle of like just hustle and it's all about you and take care of yourself and like you know we've created like a very isolated culture where everybody's kind of doing their own thing there's not a lot of community anymore and I think the biggest thing is like we just want to encourage people to keep caring and keep looking out for people whether you know them personally or not and I think with everything that's going on in the world like I think it's become more and more evident that it's so critical to show up for people because we're going to one day need strangers to show up for us too. And again, like ideally our government, whatever it is, would show up for us. But if they don't, like it's so important for us as people to learn how to support each other outside of any system because one day we'll, we're just going to need to do that. And so, yeah, just keep, keep caring. That's the perfect kind of reminder for for all of us and I think that is you know a great example as to you know why why you're here and why we're having this conversation and I'm so thankful for you and for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come talk about all of this and to educate listeners on what's going on, what was going on, why was there a need for these organizations and projects to be created, and hopefully it will leave people feeling motivated and empowered to to do the work, like to be there for people and to to spread the word and to donate when they can, if they can't share something and hopefully walk away knowing that the community aspect of all of this is so, so important. Mm-hmm. And we have to be there for each other. We got to be there to catch each other when we fall. And mm-hmm. we just got to keep loving each other. Yeah. Thanks, Carly. Kenna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for just sharing everything that you shared today. And and thank you so much for the work that you do. I'm I'm sure. And I mean, I hope that people tell you that constantly because I think that the work you're doing, the work that, you know, Sam and Gabby, like all three mm-hmm. of you coming together to put in all of this time and energy into helping mm-hmm. families it doesn't go unnoticed and people are extremely thankful for for you and the work that you do so thank you for being here and and educating and and now being this beautiful part of the recover with carly podcast that people can go back to and listen to for the end of time (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for having me and i know sam and gabby wish they could be here today but And listeners, feel free if you resonated or related to today's episode, share it with a friend, tag Kenna and I, um, share Help Maui Rise, get the word out. It is so important that we keep talking about this and we keep sharing resources and we keep showing up for our communities and whatever you can do, whether that's a donation, whether that's a share, please Mm -hmm. take just a couple of moments to do that after listening to today's episode. 
episode. It will be incredibly appreciated. And Kenna, thank you so much for being here. And we'll see everyone in the next episode. Bye.